Hi, everyone. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Welcome to Yoga Birth Babies, a podcast produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. We will be diving into everything prenatal yoga, birth, and baby-related, hoping to inspire, educate, and empower you through your journey into motherhood. Thank you for listening. Hi, I'm Deb Flaschenberg. I'm your host of Yoga Birth Babies, and we are going to dive into one of my favorite topics. We're going to talk about the pelvic floor. We're going to talk about diastasis. We're going to talk about the physical and emotional body of the pregnant person and the postpartum person. I love this stuff. It has been a passion of mine to help people find balance and support in their body, to have a functional birth, and then to have a supported postpartum recovery. So to have this conversation, I have Patricia Lattice. She is a PT, a CBB, and is a licensed physical therapist and author of Wise Woman's Guide to Your Healthiest Pregnancy and Birth. She's the founder of Wise Body Physical Therapy. Patricia previously was the co-founder of Kima Center for Physiotherapy and Wellness, one of New York City's most highly regarded PT and wellness centers. She's also the co-founder of the First Thousand Days of Wellness, a global educational platform for practitioners, spas, and consumers to promote perinatal wellness and prevent non-communicable diseases in the future generations. It was a great conversation. Yeah, we get a little geeky, but but Patricia gives some fantastic information about diastasis, about supporting and creating a strong and supple core during pregnancy, how to prepare your pelvic floor for birth, the first 40 days after having your baby, and how to support and find some rest and recovery. We also talk about diastasis and how to figure out if you have diastasis and some recovery and some exercises postpartum. We cover a lot. And of course, we talk pelvic floor. So please, please, please enjoy this conversation. I certainly did. And I think you'll get a lot of value out of it. Also, keep in mind, we have a free downloadable, five simple solutions to the most common pregnancy pains. I show you those most common pains and I give you some yoga asana to help alleviate them. So to get this free downloadable, head to my website, prenatalyogacenter.com, and there'll be a pop-up asking if you'd like to get this. You put in your email, you get the downloadable. You'll also then be joining our newsletter, which we send out once a week, and we give little tidbits, we give a little information, little supports for each week, along with some the happenings that we have going on at the studio and updates on our podcast. So all good things. So check that out. Last thing is that if you haven't left a rating and review, please, if you're enjoying this podcast, you think it's valuable to you and you think other people will enjoy it, please head over to wherever you're listening to this from and leave a rating and review. And then of course, I would love to hear from you. So if you're showing up for the podcast and you want to show up for class, please let me know that you heard about class from the podcast and I can give you an extra high five and on our one of our classes. It's really amazing how the community has expanded and I just have deep, deep, deep gratitude for those that continue to show up. And if there is a silver lining from all of this going on, it's that our doors have expanded beyond New York City. And it's really humbling to see how many people continue to show up and support one another. So thank you. And then last thing, 
if you are interested in any of our online teacher trainings, check that out on our website, prenatalyogacenter.com. We've got a a long in-depth training. We also have a couple of short self-paced trainings. Okay. We're going to take a super quick break and we come back. Please enjoy my conversation with Patricia. Aboule is a brand new platform for 21st century parents based on ancient wisdom. It allows parents to easily and affordably get childcare help, set up learning pods, virtual activities, and pick up drop off all via barter. It's a complete ecosystem that allows parents to build tribes that they can trust and depend on for a better work-life harmony. And it's launching in New York City now. Check out www.aboule.io. That's www. A B U L E dot I O. Hi, Patricia. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me. I am so excited to speak with you. So not only is it amazing that you're in the space at PYC, but when I found out that you had a book coming out about <laughs> pregnancy and postpartum, first of all, why you didn't tell me earlier? I don't know, but I'm so excited because this is my jam. We're talking pelvic yeah. floor. We're talking diastasis, pregnant people, birthing people. This is, I'm so thrilled. So thank you for uh, giving me a copy of your book. I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. And I took some notes and... I just can't wait to dive in. So I guess I've had a chance to get to know you a little bit just from reading your book and following your social media and having you at the studio. But why don't you tell people a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, I'm Patricia Lattice, and I'm a, a physical therapist and a certified behavioral breathing analyst. But I started out as a professional dancer and uh, loving um figuring out how to keep the body healthy, how to prevent injury, how to move really well, um, how to be fluid with control and stability. And um, basically, you know, my love and and uh, excitement over when the body worked, how beautiful movement could be. And then what happens when you get injured? And I was around injuries my whole life. And so wow, miraculously, we can heal and we can come back and we can feel better. And so I, um, in order to fulfill my dance major at uh, Performing Arts High School here in the city at Lincoln Center, I had to take anatomy and physiology. And I was fascinated, fascinated by it all. And I ended up going into a career um, after I finished, you know, kind of all my dance stuff. Um, I have immigrant parents. So they were like, uh, so what are you going to do now? Because enough of this dancing stuff. <laughs> so, uh, so I, um, I went to NYU. I got, um, my degree in physical therapy. I, um, had many rotations, various, uh, areas. And I, um, ended up, of course, giving back and going into the dance world. So I, my first four years of the career, of my career, I was at, uh, on Broadway helping dancers backstage. I was at the Rockettes. I was at touring companies, modern dance companies, um, and ballet companies. I was even at ABT doing injury prevention with them. And it was wonderful and so rewarding. But what we were finding was that some of the women were getting pregnant and actually coming back. Wow. You know, they came (laughs) back instead of retiring. And so, um, Nobody on the team was really, uh, had taken courses in this work. No one was really prepared for this. It was a brand new thing. This was 1999. And I'm, you know, uh, like loved that time and had basically became the person that everyone went to for helping them get back on stage after pregnancy. 
And so I've been working with pregnant women uh, from preconception, during pregnancy and postpartum since 99. And it was just a love of mine. Now, I've also worked with professional tennis um after that, I'm a therapist at the U.S. Open. I've helped out with the WTA and the USTA. And obviously, this past uh, U.S. Open, we had four moms in the quarterfinals, which was groundbreaking. Never has happened before. We now have moms winning gold medals in the Olympics. So, you know, there is no oh, now I'm going to start a family and I'm going to let everything else go, right? Mm -hmm. We can actually do everything. And so I am very, very happy to say that I, you know, pushed myself to do a lot of um, postgraduate work in this area. And it just is like the gift that keeps on giving. Now, I do see non-pregnant patients, but this is definitely um, a love of mine. And then, of course, my own experience. I've had three children and I've had all three births. So I had a vaginal birth without anything. Uh, he was nine pounds and just had him naturally. Um, second one. So that's where my mother's like, so you really are Spartan, huh? <laughs> because I'm 100% Spartan. Um, and then uh, my second um, was a C-section. I was actually moving my office. So we expanded and it was, you know, a big thing, but exciting thing. But nevertheless, I um, my water broke very early as I was doing all those things. And then my, um, uh, third was a VBAC. So I had a vaginal birth after cesarean again to a nine pounder. So it was crazy. Um, but it, it definitely taught me, um, what, uh, a lot of details that, um, that I, I, you know, added to my practice and I can speak firsthand and really connect with my patients. Um, and so they've been begging me to write a book. And I was like, Oh, well, I don't know, you know, you know, you're busy with your practice and doing so many other things. And then I ended up getting a book deal and it just kind of all fell into place. And my patients really were like, can you put this down in a book so I could share it with my friends and, and remember it for my next pregnancy and, you know, all of these things. And so I'm very, very happy at, uh, how it turned out. Um, I have a lot of wonderful practitioners that I've, you know, gleaned a lot of information. It, it talks a little bit about the doula side of things, the midwife, the, the OBGYN, the functional medicine, um, you know, Ayurveda, um, and, and just ancient wisdom from around the world. Um, I try to try to get as many cultures as I can in the book, any ancient wisdom pearl that was rooted in science, I included it. So it's a lot of fun tidbits in there. Cause as you know, women would passed down information from generation to generation. And this was, um, this is kind of an homage to that because I think we just need to get back to that. We've got to continue the, the, um, the passing down of information. And I, I thank you for all you do for this community, because really that's what it is. That's what it's all about is getting together and sharing information and continuing to support each other. So, you know, support is the number one thing. And I'm hopeful that I uh, will positively impact some lives out there with this. If not, just help so. my patients. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I promise I wasn't going to do a book report because I want yes. people to go and get it. So I was reading through the book and I pulled a few parts out that particularly struck me. So I want to talk a little bit about that. But again, it's not a book report. So those that are getting intrigued by all Patricia's knowledge and expertise, you can that can spark your desire to go grab her book. Now, we keep saying book, book, book. Let me just make sure you guys understand. So the book is called The Wise Woman 
woman's guide to your healthiest pregnancy and birth. So when I say I'm referring to the book, that's what it is. So I want to jump in. One of the things that I really liked about your book, and you talked about being certified in breath work, was you talked so much about breath through your book. Can you talk about what you mean by restorative breathing and how our breathing can become compromised? I hadn't thought of that before. So a hundred percent of pregnant women have a breathing dysfunction, you know? And so what does that mean? That means that you have compromised breathing because you don't have access to your diaphragm, right? So your diaphragm um, needs to be accessible. It needs to be functioning throughout um, and to the best of its ability. However, when you have a fetus growing inside, you can't access your diaphragm as easily. So what ends up happening is that you have to have somewhat of a, you know, compromised compensatory strategy. Now, you can compensate to the best of your ability and still be decently efficient so that you don't have symptoms, or you can compromise and go into a really poor habit Maybe you had a breathing dysfunction before you got pregnant and now you don't have access to your diaphragm and now you're like tanking. Um, so what, what I do is I actually am trained in capnography and capnography is basically the study of breathing. Um, and we use a capnograph where we literally the patient will put a nasal cannula in their nose and they'll go in and out, um, breathing and then I can actually see how much the end tidal CO2 is, right? So how much air is left in the lungs um, when you are uh, breathing. And if you're exhaling too much, you actually are putting yourself in a compromised state. Now, that could lead to anxiety. It could lead to memory, brain fog kind of, you know, memory loss, fatigue, um, and nausea is a big one. Um, and so what, what I talk about in the book are certain breathing strategies that are really effective for combating that and getting you to access as much of your diaphragm as you can. Um, because it actually is much more simple than you think much more simple than you think. So I want to jump into a question that I hear from my students all the time. They want to hear about diastasis and pelvic floor issues. So I think we should head in that direction. I know that, and I've done some of the research, so please forgive me if I'm wrong. Um, I was researching and I found a video by Diane Lee, who I know you've worked with, and she was saying that a hundred percent of pregnant people are going to have some sort of diastasis. So can we talk a little bit about what is happening to the abdominal wall of a pregnant person and what someone can do during pregnancy to help maintain stability in their core? Yes. So it is true. So diastasis, a lot of people think it's an actual tearing of the muscles, but it's not. It's a stretching. Mm-hmm. Um, and the good news is, is that, um, you know, 70% completely resolve on their own. And that, again, is, you know, proper tone, proper care, um, and, and getting back to doing things normally. But ultimately, um, the, 
the stability that has to occur starts all the way from preconception. So, you know, what's your body type like? How do you work out? How do you use your core? Are you one of these people that has a six pack and does, you know, thousands of crunches all day and is really, really tight in their abdomen? Are you one of these people that really never touches a core exercise because you hate them and have really no tone in in, those two extremes are going to be the, probably the most problematic because you're going to want the, the right in between that Goldilocks right in between of some, some buoyancy and suppleness, but good tone as well. Mm -hmm. So how does that happen? Again, why I focus on the breathing, because if your diaphragm's not right, your diaphragm is actually the conductor of your core. If your diaphragm is breathing well, you know, activating correctly and is balanced, then you're going to actually have a conductor sitting there, like background music (laughs) all the time, working your core. Your transverses, which functions with various light, low-grade kind of activities that you're doing, whether it's picking up your computer or, you know, getting your baby or, you know, just walking. You know, this is just activation. So these things... um you know, that nice buoyant relationship of having this nice sequence of events occurring even before you get pregnant is key. Having good collagen is probably the number one thing that helps you not have diastasis, um, you know, persist. So when you have good collagen and that's just, you know, your genes. <laughs> so it's, you know, some people um, just, you know, you say, oh, they never exercised a day in their life and they never had any of these issues. Well, it's probably that they had good collagen. So outside of that, what can you do? During pregnancy, you do not want to be stressing that seam. You don't want to be continuing to do your crunches and, you know, um, a lot of things that would stress that's that central seam, the linea alba. You want to be doing things that are very deep and working the sides of the pelvis, you know, your glute med and, and again, keeping good breath, working all aspects of this cylinder. I like to think about our belly as like, you know, a balloon um, filled with some sand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the top is the diaphragm. The bottom is the pelvic floor and all around it is your abdominals and the back is of course your spine and some of your deep muscles like the multifidi. All together you gain tensegrity which is kind of like you know this inherent like the pressure systems are all aligned and everything is supporting the way that it should and you can function and do what you can. Now when you are gaining that belly and engaging that, you know, that baby's getting bigger and bigger. You're getting to the tension point of your ligaments. You're getting all these extra helpers to kind of help you out. So you're going to use some of your core. You're going to use some of your, um, uh, uh, again, the core is your abdominals, your, uh, your transversus, your um, deep multifidi of your spine, the pelvic floor, the diaphragm, all together is really your core. So how we can prevent diastasis is to keep all of those in the best optimized shape as possible. Would you count the psoas and the adductors and abductors in that category of core? I would say they're not technically, but the psoas is a stabilizer of the front of the spine. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, is oftentimes kind of like a, you know, the reins pulling back, right? So they're like, oh, they get really, really sometimes over elongated and gripping. Um, but you know, it, it, it is, it does have a very, um, good stabilizing function for sure. Um, the adductors need to be balanced with the glute med. Um, so it's all about balancing the hip balancing the pelvis and balancing the spine. Um, so in respect with uh, the hip and pelvis, I would agree that these are very key muscles. Um, but again, supporters and, uh, you know, kind of uh, like second part of the players. symphony. They're part of, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're totally part of the symphony for sure. They're second sure. chair, not first chair. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. exactly. <laughs> I love that, yeah. So when mm-hmm. we're talking about not overstretching the linea alba, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, but when I start to think about the belly is growing, the linea alba is getting stretched, which it needs to, would it would it be fair to say that the internal pressure, like the intra-abdominal pressure, adding more to that could be damaging to the linea alba? So I'm thinking like deep back bends where we're really then pushing the uterus against that connective tissue or twisting. Like, would we, would you be mindful? Like, how would you instruct your clients if they're like, if they say like, I still want to do these big, deep back bends. My body can, is it the kind of thing where you'd say, yeah, your body can, but should your body be doing that? Or am I just being oversensitive about back bends? Well, I think, um, Again, if you are well-toned, well-balanced in the body, and you go into certain ranges that you did prior, then you probably have decent support to be able to support some of that. But maybe we have to shave off some of the range, right? On mm-hmm. uh, uh, Erring on the side of caution, if you haven't done that, if it doesn't feel right, or if you're seeing that it feels really, really different and... um you know, yes, the answer is yes, you could potentially be, um, if anything, just putting yourself in a category where you may injure. So why, why would we go there? Now, I like instead to focus on vertical elongation. I talk like mad to all my patients, um, as well as in the book about your posture and your alignment. How are you holding yourself? Because if you are holding yourself upright all the time, you won't even feel like you need to do the back bend. That mm-hmm. once in a while you might feel like you want to arch back. That's totally fine, right? It's totally fine. Um, but not into extremes. Yeah. I, I, I am conservative in that way because I do think As that, I. I, I, you know, and I see people when they did go too far and now we have a problem on our hands and it takes us you know, weeks, you know, to get it back. That's and exactly so, my approach yeah, to it's so like really the risk versus right the benefit. Cause if you, if you are more conservative during pregnancy, then you're back to what you want quicker than if you're then repairing it because you've gone too far. Exactly. Exactly. So, so I want to shift a little bit to pelvic floor. Uh-huh. So you and I are talking a little bit before, and I'm all about the idea of the pelvic floor. I, I'm sure you are too being balanced. I like to liken it um, to like a jellyfish, like the movement. It descends, it domes, it descends and domes. And I give broad strokes to our students to get a sense of what's going on with their pelvic floor. And some, as we talked about, don't even know where their pelvic floor is, how it functions. So some people are starting at 
brand new. Here is my pelvic floor. And then they come to class and we do it every class. And I talk a little bit about if something goes into the vagina, if it hurts, um, when they palpate around. So I'm giving them some broad strokes just to identify, is there a pelvic floor very tight and overly toned. And if so, they may not want to be the person that works on more engagement. They may want to be that person that works on more relaxation, but are there, what other ways with, and of course I always say, go see a pelvic floor PT, Uh, but what other ways can someone just start to get a sense of where their, where the balance or imbalance lies in their pelvic floor? So, you know, one of the key things to point out here is that you may have too much tone in a certain posture or a certain exercise or a certain position or with a certain task and then be completely fine in others. Um, you can have generally uh, less tone and really need to work on it or you could have generally more tone and need to work on it. Again, my analogy before about the sand in the and the belly, sometimes it's the improper functionality at the diaphragm that's actually putting pressure. If you have a really closed, tight diaphragm, and I'm not even talking with pregnancy, it could be just, you know, generally, you're going to be putting a lot of undue pressure to the bottom of that cylinder, right? That, that, that balloon that's filled with sand, the sand is going to go to the bottom if you clench it from the top. That's going to put stress and strain and almost push the pelvic floor down mm-hmm. and, and, and out, right? So the reason behind this could be variant. Um, it could be that, you know, there's some, um, I, I look at the pelvic floor as being reactive. So it could be, um, postures. It could be breathing. It could be, the tightness, it could be scarring, it could be a lot of different things. It could be the the reproductive organs and, and different organ shifting, it could be scoliosis. So how do you detect this, right? So let's say you're laying down. You can actually palpate, as you're saying, um, around the area, um, going around the sits bone, seeing around the anus. Uh, most of the time, because we sit so much, we have much more tone in the back of the pelvic floor than we do mm-hmm. at the front. So there's asymmetry. Um, but when you're, when you're just see what happens when I breathe, do I feel a difference in my pelvic floor or is it just toned the whole time? When you breathe in, it should kind of relax, right? And when you breathe out, it should kind of rise or get a little bit toned. Um, if that balance isn't happening, then there might be, okay, I gave a lot and I didn't really feel the tone come in. All right, then maybe you need to work on your tone. Sitting upright, same thing. Put your hand, sit down, put your hand, sit on your hand and see what happens when you breathe. Do you feel your sits bones moving, coming together or going apart? That's another way to sense, am I having activity or is everything just dull, still and not moving? Do I feel any sort of change in my pelvic floor? Am I always feeling like these two bones are really together in my hand when I'm pressing around? It's really firm as if I'm you know, flexing a muscle shouldn't be, it should feel very buoyant, like a peach, you know, just like, you know, you could, you know, press into it. Um, and it, and it kind of gives, but when you go into certain postures, I would say to palpate. So you go into your favorite yoga pose, feel what it feels like. Are you tense? Are you toned? Is one side active? The other side not, is there an imbalance? And it really, I would say is 
palpation and getting to know that area. Um, but oftentimes we're quite confused because sometimes you think you feel it, sometimes you don't. Um, and this area is just so important for us to really get good functionality because it can prevent so many problems later and, and so much angst. And so much time that you're going to have to devote to this because once it's a problem, it's a problem and we really need to address it. So I'm always with my prevention hat on saying, you know what, it may make sense for you to just get it evaluated, you know, just like, um, you know, you would go to your physical you know, every year with your, with your doctor, just to, you know, really no problems. You're feeling good. Let me just check and make sure and check up. I just think we should have pelvic floor checkups too. Oh, I know. I absolutely think the pelvic floor is one of those areas that there's so much cultural shame around it. And I get it. There's trauma that happens to people. I a hundred percent get it. And then there's, you know, we just don't want to look at it as it's, it's any other muscle in the body. You know, you pull a hamstring, you hurt your shoulder, you're going to attend to that. But the pelvic floor, which is really the foundation of our body, often gets kind of, oh, I don't, I don't want to worry about that. I don't want to think about that. Mm-hmm. So I want to talk, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I'd love to hear how you work with your pregnant clients to help them have a well-balanced pelvic floor to be ready for birth. We'll be right back. Okay. So you have a pregnant client and they show up and they're saying, all right, I want my pelvic floor to be springy. And I think we're like a trampoline, springy and balanced, but it's a little tight or it's a little weak. What are some ways, some exercises that you do to help them have that supple pelvic floor? Because if it's so hard, it's really hard for that baby to descend and rotate and emerge through. So, you know, I would say, again, it's um, the tissues. I mean, you really, towards the end of your pregnancy, when we do want that baby to come through, right, is it's really great to do perineal massage um, and to actually work on the soft tissues with your hands and whether it's you or your partner or a pelvic floor therapist, but, you know, making sure that we are, you know, getting that uh, released and, and keeping those tissues, you know, um, supple. Now, again, it's all about breathing and having the proper tone to begin with and keeping that well-balanced tone throughout the pregnancy. Um, you know, some women, depending on where the baby might be sitting, could be sitting awkwardly, could be standing awkwardly, could be shifting more weight to one side of their body or the other. That will immediately shift what's happening at the pelvic floor. So it's all about balancing. And, mm-hmm. and step one is awareness check in with yourself. Don't just get through everything you've got on your list for the day and work and, you know, house stuff and your own, you know, maybe self-care needs to be on that list, right? So what, how am I standing? Am I even on both feet? Am I, where's my thorax? Is it over my belly so that I can still be able to breathe correctly so that I can function in the pelvic floor and the whole core correctly? You know, and, you know, certain exercises that are very key, um, are squatting to the floor. You know, um, sadly, um, I was so upset when Elizabeth Noble passed, but she was a pioneer with this. And she was like, you know, the apple a day keeps the doctor away. She goes five squats a day, keeps the doctors away. And you need to be getting down into those levels where you're actually releasing the pelvic mm-hmm. floor. Oftentimes we are super hyper engaged. And so we really need to be able to let that 
go. So there is always a balance. And I believe that you almost have to let go first in order to engage. I 100% agree. mm, So, so that's a big deal. So we talk about getting to the floor and getting into the really low to the ground squat which some people birth in that position, um, which is really great, um, where you're actually getting out of your own way. You're actually forcing the sit bones to open. You're forcing the pelvic floor to kind of relax and be in that subtle, su- supple place where you can actually um, have the ideal fluidity for the baby to exit. Mm-hmm. So there's tone that's going on, but there's relaxation. So... Um, uh, Always coordinating your breath with everything you do in your day and, and getting into that, you know, low place, but, you know, engaging your transverses. So I think of the pelvic floor as four points, like a, like a diamond, uh, uh, baseball, uh, field. So we're talking about the front being the pubic symphysis, the back being the tailbone and the two sides being the two sits bones and all four points you want to think about drawing in and up the middle up your center inside of you, right? And that's how it, the lift happens, almost like an elevator, right? Floor one, floor two, floor three. People say you can go up to elevator five. I like to just go into the subtle place of maybe the first three, yeah? We mm-hmm. start there. You think about all those four points coming back through the middle, up the center, lift as you exhale, and then inhale, let it all go right? So we do that in a nice, calm, soft fashion, breathing into the sides and back of your lower ribs, in and out through the nose. The tongue is at the roof of the mouth. The lips are closed. You're making sure that the breath is quiet and soft and gentle. And as you engage, you always think about the relaxation and letting it go. And then you can build on that. You can add, you know, a little bit of transverses as you think about that. You can do your transversus activity with your breathing, obviously, in different positions, um, you know, different cues. We actually use real-time ultrasound in the clinic where we actually image your pelvic floor. We have you do the exercise, whatever cue we might have come up with for you, and we actually see, can we lift the bladder? Does the pelvic floor engage equally on right and left? Is one side overworking? Is nothing happening? (laughs) Is it working really well? So we try to look at what is the most perfect cue for you to get the best holistic balanced pelvic floor contraction. And are we getting, you know, the effects that we want? And we also do this for transversus. We actually see can you close your diastasis or can you engage your pelvic floor and your transversus together? Can we get your transversus to slide across and give you that almost that sucking in um, uh, to draw the belly in to give you the most support that you can both right, left and coming in through the center? Because as we know, that's when you're going to get the most support for your pelvis, for your back, for your baby and postpartum. Mm, yeah, I'm excited. Actually, we're gonna let's actually on that note, let's shift to postpartum because I really get excited about talking about that. So, in your book, you talk about the first 40 days of postpartum, and you have a rest and recovery protocol. Will you talk a little bit about that? So a lot of women say to me, hey, Patricia, you look exactly like I, you know, met you before you had kids and you look the same and all that stuff. Now, you know, everyone changes and that's not the journey for everyone, but I have a strict 
rest and recovery protocol for the first 40 days. And this has been in almost every culture documented in their practices where all the women in the tribe would come and take care of everything for the woman that was in the community that just gave birth. Why? So that she can rest and do nothing but bond with her baby and really do nothing. <laughs> and they would nourish her with warming foods and take care of everything that they needed in the house and basically support her so that she didn't have to think about anything. And I swear, I, I you know, we don't have studies to prove this, but, you know, I swear that that has been able to decrease postpartum depression and, and perinatal mood disorders. I think that it has been able to strengthen women, get them to feel they're coming back to their normal selves. And when you rest, think about it like a marathon. You just ran a marathon. I mean, that's a huge deal. Big, big deal. The next day, I mean, the next three, four, ugh, maybe a week, you're, you could barely even walk up a stair. You know, you can't even do a step. It's like you have to rest and recover. You're not going out and running again, right? You're stopping and you're mm -hmm. resting. And so if we do too much too soon, Similar to the marathon, you might strain something, you might hurt something. You also are actually bringing stress to your body. Your body has gone through so much. Your, your chakra, your grounding chakra just opened up to let a baby through. You're basically vulnerable, open, and tired. Mm -hmm. And so the best thing you can do is to actually force a rest for 40 days. That's what's, you know, clinically significant and documented to be um, pretty much the best in terms of ancient wisdom as well. So what does that do? It actually prevents cortisol response. Your body doesn't go into, you know, oftentimes I'll have my women say, oh, you know, I can't get rid of this last 10 pounds, 20 pounds, 30 pounds. It's like, wait a minute. What'd you do postpartum? Oh, well, I ate salads and I, you know, got right back on my elliptical and my Peloton and I, you know, got everything back because I wanted to get my body back. Well, that was too much. Your body literally said, uh-oh, I just had a marathon and now I got to keep going. Woof, we're in emergency mode. And it held on to all of that because cortisol will spike, you know, that inflammation, which is not good for you, not good for baby, and will actually decrease your metabolic rate. So you, you don't want that to happen. So again, prevention. So instead, you want to bask in that. Now you have to plan for it. In this day and age, I mean, you, you know, you gotta, you really do have to plan for it because you don't have a tribe where women are going to know that you're pregnant and that they need, you know, you need your, their help and they're going to come in their house and help you with everything you need, right? So you got to think about it. I talk about it a lot in third trimester is, is getting ready, getting your tribe ready, whether that's a meal plan, whether that's a, you know, uh, extra help that you're going to hire or people that you're going to, um, ask for help. You know, friends, family, loved ones, your neighbor, whoever, you know, um, because then when you do rest, you can recover so much quicker. So much I quicker. totally agree with that. I feel like right now we're not with our families, especially right now with, with the pandemic, but totally. having that support. And I wish I had done that in my first birth. I just, first of all, it was two days long. It was very, very long. And then I got up and I did stuff way too quickly. And I realized that my body 
did not work well from that. In fact, I think it made things a lot worse. And then with my second, I really did enjoy some more downtime. I gave myself that permission. And for many of us that are type A, it's, it's giving ourselves that permission to not jump back, to pull back. And I thought that was hard, but I think many people can then learn to benefit. So what are some of the most common issues that you see in your postnatal clients? So we do have, you know, stubborn diastasis that won't, you know, fully come together. So we're, we're, we're seeing that. We're definitely seeing sacroiliac joint issues. That's probably my top thing is pelvic pain, low back pain, um, and also neck pain. So one of the things that is interesting is that, you know, not, you know, not just the SI and, you know, the, the pelvis and how it's changed and shifted. And we had the relaxing through our body and everything's so lax and we've got to wake up those muscles again and get them to, to function the right way and in a balanced way. But we also, whether you're breastfeeding or you're not, you're still getting the milk coming in and you have this ligament. It's called the cardiac ligament. It yokes from the neck around and underneath the breast. And it allows, and it gets stretched um, to allow for the milk to be let down and for breastfeeding. And again, whether you're breastfeeding or you're not breastfeeding, this is happening like it or not, right? So what ends up happening is that ligament that actually gets overly stretched tugs on the back of your neck. So a lot of, you know, I've had my best friend text me a picture, my goodness, I'm turning into a dinosaur, help, (laughs) you know, with this bump on the back of her neck. And that's commonly known as a dowager's hump. So a lot of people also have neck pain. And a lot of times we're also looking down at baby, feeding baby. Whether you're breast or bottle, Mm -hmm. you're looking down. Correct. It's so, I remember being Mm -hmm. so shocked, like my neck is killing. Mm -hmm. So when you said neck pain, I'm like, that makes absolute sense. And also fatigue, you know, when we're tired, our posture goes Goes to hell. (laughs) And and then you're holding a baby. And so the shoulders come in. I call it the chicken neck. It's like when your chin sticks out and that cervical curve is just a hot mess. So yeah, the neck, I do a lot of that with my postnatal neck work, shoulder work, chest opening. It's such a tender, uncomfortable area, and that can lead to headaches. It's just, again, a big hot mess. All right, so you're working on diastasis with them. And will you talk a little bit about how someone can figure out, especially now with COVID, and maybe someone can't necessarily get to a pelvic floor PT or or just a PT, or they might not have one in their community. How can someone start to assess their own body just to get a sense of what's going on if they have diastasis? So if you lay down on your back with your knees bent, you kind of go, you can start at the navel because that's a, an easy point to start at. And then you could take a couple fingers and go up, right? And then what you do is you actually lift your head off the pillow, let's say, or the floor that you're resting on, just lifting your head. You don't have to come up into a full curl. And you see, and you, you feel the two borders. You'll see some separation and you'll feel the two borders of your rectus abdominis either come apart or stay the same. And you kind of palpate through and then you put your head back down again and then you go to the next level, you know, kind of going from the top, going closer back towards your navel, then meeting below the navel, going all the way down to your pubic bone. And what you're doing is you're assessing just what it feels like 
do you feel that there is a separation there? I like to always tell my patients, lift up first, get a sense for the lay of the land. Do you feel two little humps kind of, you know, these, bo- these, you know, um, muscles that might be there in two, two levels, um, where you feel the lineal, but then drop it down and now feel around. So then you go, okay, where's the lay of the land? I've got the center seam and then there's the left is my left abdominals, my right, my right abdominals, the rectus abdominis kind of going around. The area around the navel is the weakest. It's circular in in orientation, and anything circular is just weaker inherently. So don't freak out if it feels like jello around that area. That's completely, completely normal. And you know what? I don't even advise really um, checking for diastasis too much until at least after 40 days, if not, you know, in that first three months, you know, you just kind of want to chill out and let the body do what it, it, it needs to do. Um, and, and understand that this is a process as it's closing, you know, um, you're going to still have a belly for a while and, and it's going to take, um, some time for all of those tissues to start, you know, getting online again. It's like a really slow programming system and you need the reboot, you know? So you got to take time and allow yourself to to understand. Like we said earlier, 100% of women have diastasis and 70% will close in time. So it's not just right away, you know? So we just let, let you know, just wanted to have that caveat in there that, you know, if you feel something, don't freak out, but you can actually just measure it notice, okay, yeah, there's some separation there. And, but if you feel a sharp, like you you can press all the way into your belly and there's a lot of room there, then that may be grounds for calling someone, um, to get it, you know, uh, looked at earlier, uh, the earlier, the better. Now going back to just looking at the diastasis as you're proking through, um, if you come up, you can actually measure now with your hands horizontal now so that your fingers are, you know, right and left of each other, kind of, you know, all four fingers in a row horizontally, right? The linea alba is vertically from your ribs to your belly. And so what you're doing now is you're turning your hand to vertical, I mean, sorry, from vertical to horizontal, and you're palpating how many fingers fit in that gap between the left abdominals and the right abdominals. Um, and you kind of can sense the measurement there. Um, and so, you know, usually, uh, if you can fit all four fingers between, you probably need to get to see somebody. Um, if you fit only like a finger, I would say just keep your eye on it. And if it doesn't close more than that and you want to, you know, uh, then you would need to, you know, get a little hand there. But, um, but generally speaking, you know, you, you should see a progression where it keeps getting, you know, closing further and further naturally as you're breathing correctly, as you're doing good exercises. Um, but the biggest thing is no crunches and no bearing down. You know, if you're constipated and you're doing Valsalva to, to move your bowels, that's a bad thing because that can also really distend it. Um, it so, comes back to that intra-abdominal pressure again that mm-hmm, we're pushing from the inside mm-hmm, out. Are mm-hmm. you also looking at or would you instruct someone to also figure, I call the marshmallow, like the tensile strength, like they, yeah. there might be a bit of a gap, but there's tension underneath Correct. their fingers as Correct. opposed to, again, this image of a marshmallow. Like when I used to instruct, I, I wasn't the one that would, so I would have my students 
feel for themselves. Cause again, I'm not a PT, but I want them to know yeah. what they're feeling. And mm-hmm. so I'll instruct pretty much the same thing. Bring your head up, feel down, then I instruct it with engage the pelvic floor. And sometimes you could see the fingers go in like a marshmallow and sometimes there's some bounce back. Mm-hmm. So when that's correct. At, Yes. I, again, this is my thing. I love, I love this stuff. Mm-hmm. So when they, when they feel that there's a little bit of a separation, but they've got tone. So where, that's the next level. Yeah. Exactly. Thank you for bringing me there. So the first step is, okay, is there a little gap there? Right now? So we talk about the, the, the separation, but we also talk about depth. So sometimes you may have separation, but there, you could, you're springing like a springboard there. You could hardly get deep. You know, yeah. it's just right there. There's good tone. And it's like a nice trampoline. It's right there. Boom, boom. And you're, you're good. And then there's the other where you can go and sink all the way in. The marshmallow. There's no tone. <laughs> and there's your marshmallow. I love that. So basically, there are plenty of women that I will see that can't get it to less than, you know, two, two and a half or even three. Um, in terms of width of separation. However, their tone is fantastic and they're completely functional. No pain. They could do their exercises. They look decent and they feel good. Then that's a functioning diastasis. Now, it may not look as pretty as maybe someone that has a completely closed one, but it's functional and it works, right? Now, that tone needs to be there no matter what range of separation you have. If there is no tone and a small separation, that's not good either. Right. Because then you're not really functional. You could have a minor separation, um, you know, a minor stretch of that linea alba between the left and the right abdominal wall. And you're basically dealing with a poor functionality because you could go right through it because there's no tone there. So that's, you know, where it might look okay for some people, but have no, no functionality. You're going to end up with symptoms. Whether it's so talk difficulty. About that. Yeah, you can have what difficulty. Are the um, back pain, um, pelvic pain, improper balance of breathing and pelvic floor, that whole structure we talked about. Um, the uh, uh, feeling like you can't lift things, push things, or twist. Like you literally can't, you don't have the inherent tensile strength to be able to function and lift. That's probably the number one is, you know, oh, I go to lift my baby and it's like, whoa, like I feel like I don't have the support. I feel like something's going to fall out the bottom or mm-hmm. I feel like I, I can't actually hold. I feel like I have the strength in my in my arms, but it's like I feel like my body's going to give way or I feel like this immense pressure in my back or I'm trying to push the stroller and it's like, ugh, it's like so much fatigue. It's like I can't even hold myself up, you know, those kinds of things. And, and that's usually, too. and that, of course, that incontinence can be, you can have it with and without incontinence, but yes, of course, incontinence is definitely one of those, um, symptoms. So if someone realizes the cylinder theoretically would be broken, sorry, right? You know, like, yeah, right? They don't so have the you don't have that full on circuitry of that, that nice cylinder of support with the right tensegrity. So you're going to be compromised somewhere. So if my belly isn't fully able to gain that proper tensile strength, I'm going to have to ask some of my peers to do the work. 
And that so is that means- where then yeah. if the belly's not able to do its support and there's like leakage, not, not urine leakers, like <laughs> there doesn't have the pressure. So mm-hmm. there's, so that abdomen doesn't have that support is the pelvic floor. I love how you said the peers, your peers are trying to jump in. So your pelvic floor is saying, here I come, I'll come help. Is it more likely that, that the pelvic floor is getting overly tight because it's trying to make up for the lack of support in the front of the belly? And then what ends up happening is that people are like, oh my gosh, my pelvic floor is so tight. And then you get your pelvic floor released and now you're like worse than ever. Now you feel like your pelvis is going to go. You feel like your back is going to go. So it is really, you cannot just address diastasis without addressing everything. But then also, if someone's having a very tight pelvic floor, there can be incontinence and they say, oh my God, I'm having incontinence. I better do more Kegels. And then they can be making themselves even tighter. Correct. So again, it goes back to the Goldilocks. It goes back too much. You can't have too little. You got to, and you have to be able to contract as well as relax. Yeah. Right. Like think about it. If I all day long had to think about breathing, Would my body and my brain be able to function? No. I wouldn't be able to do anything. I'd have to be literally sitting there thinking, oh, now I take my inhale. Oh, now I take my exhale. So the body naturally has a background music. It it goes on. It goes off. It's This turns on. This shuts off. And we're not supposed to really have to worry about that. It's supposed to be a circuit that's involuntary working for us, flattening our belly for us. If effectively being our friend and, and being, you know, in union with your body, right? And that's why I constantly talk about this wisdom, this innate wisdom that our body has. When something is out of whack, our body or isn't well supported or has gotten too much trauma or, you know, think about like, you know, scarring, right? I helped a woman with her, you know, back pain after working her 65 year old, you know, no, not 65, uh, 35 year old, um, C-section scar, you know, there's adherences in the body. So we need to investigate why isn't this wonderful structure doing what it's supposed to do? Because that's where I optim, that's where I function from is getting out of our own way, getting the body to get rid of the restrictions that are keeping it from doing the right thing. And sometimes, you know, I I hate to say it, I fixed somebody's foot and ankle and all of a sudden their pelvic floor got renormalized. Right. All right. So, uh, all right. So before we start to wrap up, if there's people listening and they're probably like, oh my gosh, I do have diastasis. My pelvic floor doesn't feel great. They may not be able to get out the door and see a pelvic floor PT or or a regular physical therapist that works in women's health. I have a feeling I know your answer, but Mm -hmm. is there one or two things they can do right away to help create balance? I think you're going to say the breath, but I could be wrong. What are one or two things they can do right away? Yeah. So you lay down on your back and I would say even inverted so that you actually put a bunch of pillows under your tush and put yourself in a position where your head is slightly lower than your pelvis, but you're laying down, right? So your head is lower than your pelvis. So you're on a bed or you're on a, um, you know, uh, the floor and your body's on, you know, the couch or, you know, whatever you're getting into an inverted position with your head lower than your pelvis, but everything's supported, including your legs. Yeah. A bunch of pillows and you are going to relax everything and you're going to put your hands to the back and sides of your lower ribs. You're going to close your mouth. You're going to put your tongue to the roof of your mouth 
You're going to breathe in and out gently through your nose and watch that you are letting this effortless, gentle, very super quiet breath happen while making the breath and directing the breath to go to the back and sides of your lower ribs while you relax everything in your abdomen and everything in your pelvic floor. You don't think about that. But being in this position is going to bring you into an advantageous place to further the activity of the diaphragm. And again, the diaphragm is the conductor of the core. The diaphragm functioning helps your pelvic floor be balanced. So you're actually helping to rewire the whole circuitry as you do that for three to five minutes at least. Okay, three to five mm-hmm. minutes at least. And you're just kind of doing that nice and easy, gentle. While you're in that position afterwards, you can bend your knees up, feet, you know, on the pillows that you've got stacked there. And then you can keep the breath going. And on your exhale, you can gently think about drawing the skin above your pubic bone in and up towards your spine just to get a little transversus contraction. Okay, And that will help to just coordinate your transversus and your diaphragm ever so gently. So why am I not saying do a Kegel? Because like we talked about before, you might be that person that has the overactive pelvic floor that needs to relax. But generally speaking, when you activate your diaphragm and you try to get your transversus to have a proper contraction, you can then start to maybe pave the way for the tra- for the pelvic floor to come on board in um in, you know, a more balanced fashion. This is so great because I do a lot of this with my my, my postnatal students, I feel very validated. My, um, the, my, the PT I saw after the birth of my first child, which I will say I was a mess. My pelvic floor was a hot mess. Well, so, that's why you're doing this empowering, wonderful well, that's work. That's why that I love doing, this work. Right? I mean, it really, yeah. it's, it's because I was such a wreck that I have this passion to have people have a functional birth because I learned what it was like to have a very dysfunctional birth. So she did, she had me lift my hips on, on pillows and I practiced that. I did it PT twice a day. And then I brought a lot of that into how we, how I teach my postnatal students and their hips are elevated. And it's a lot about that same thing. So it just makes me so excited to, <laughs> to feel like, yes, we're all on board supporting one another. We're going to take one more quick break and we come back. If you have one tip or piece of advice you'd like to offer new and expectant parents, we'll be right back. Okay, we are back. What is one final tip or piece of advice you'd like to offer new or expectant parents? I would say that you really do need to embrace this time with joy and excitement. Um, you know, I talk a lot about preconception, the partner's role, and all of the wonderful um, things that you do to prepare. But you also want to be preparing for that transition towards matricence, which is becoming a mother and also becoming a father. And we, you know, I like to go back to, it takes a village to raise a child and it takes a village because it, we need support during this time. So I, my greatest piece of advice that has actually been proven to improve the wellness and the health and the longevity of your baby is for you to get the support that you need. So set that up before, you know, look for, you know, I, uh, if it's a 
babysitter or a, a you know, a baby nurse, or it's, um, someone that's going to help you make sure that that person is going to be able to meet your needs. Maybe it's driving. Maybe it's, you know, taking the kids somewhere, your other kids. Um, maybe it's, um, you know, having the relationships with the people that are going to serve the various things that you're going to need to keep your lifestyle going the way that you feel you need, right? Mm-hmm. Is it a half hour that you need a day to yourself? Um, carving out that time to, to, you know, give back to yourself because otherwise we're just always over, overwhelmed. We need that moment. Um, another thing is having a gratitude practice. Be thankful for things, you know, that you do in your day. I have this ritual that we do with, um, uh, the wonderful Buddha girl bracelets where, you know, you, you put on the bracelet, you set an intention for the day, you take the bracelet off, you give gratitude for something, um, you know, that might have happened that day. And, you know, you don't want to lose that practice. And then finally, um, Believe it or not, your health and your baby's health is dependent on you becoming sexually active again. <laughs> so when you are safe um, to, and this is the work of Dr. Sergio Pecorelli, one of my um, very, very close colleagues and partners with the first 1,000 Days of Wellness, um, you know, getting back to sexual activity actually helps your health, your partner's health, and your baby's health. Um, it boosts immunity. It, it, it's, it's ridiculous how many benefits. So when it's safe and when you've been cleared, get back to doing that kind of stuff that you love. And sometimes <laughs> it doesn't have to be intercourse, you know, but doing some form of bonding and sexual activity is actually quite beneficial. And people don't often talk about that. So just wanted to sneak that in. I appreciate that. Where can people find your work and your new book? Sure. So my practice is now Wise Body and it's wisebodypt.com. So it's PT like physical therapy. Um, I'm on all social channels as at Patricia Lab. And the book is available on Amazon, Target, Barnes and Noble. Just look up The Wise Woman's Guide to Your Healthiest Pregnancy and Birth, or you can just go to my website, patricialattis.com. Amazing. And for those in New York City, they can see you as well. We have three practices in the city. As you said, we're at the prenatal yoga center on Woo-hoo. 72nd Street in Columbus. Um, we're also at 515 Madison, which is Madison and 53rd Street. And then we're on 16th Street and 5th Avenue. I didn't realize you had and, three. I thought you only had two. That's amazing yeah. that you're in so many locations. That's great. And we're great. also offering telehealth um, for anyone across the U.S. And um, we're also in the Hamptons in New York uh, for home visits. You are busy. <laughs> you are really, really I love busy. It. Well, you can only do with a team, right? So I've got my other three esteemed colleagues and wonderful top expert therapists that are there, um, you know, to help. Uh, we're all been working together for many years. Um, you know, my previous practice, uh, we were practicing for 14 years. Uh, I've been doing this for 22. And, um, you know, so we're uh, all immersed in this wonderful holistic work of root cause medicine and trying to help people faster uh, and easier and empowering them to move wisely with fluidity, strength, and tensegrity. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for your time. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. Thanks. This has been an episode of Yoga Birth Babies, produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Thanks for listening.